Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a listen. Today's guest is a University of Washington head coach, Keegan Cook. In this episode, Keegan talks about always having been a young coach with younger athletes and how he presents himself as a much more mature figure, his 10 years at SMC, working with one of the greatest coaches of all time, Jim McLaughlin, the tough conversations that come with the territory, and having banter with his assistants. Check it out. Get that background. <laughs> Come on. Serious organization here. I wish I had a whiteboard behind me. That's legit. Yeah, with my uh, hieroglyphics on there. Oh, I love that. Remember your why? That's big time. You got some, some big time stuff up there. Oh, man. He's going to steal your stuff. and He's going to patent it oh, on. It was all a secret to begin with, too. Yeah, I'm stealing Marv's stuff, and I'm stealing your stuff. Cool. Yeah. Nice to meet you. I've been hearing your voice for like the last two weeks, and so it's nice to match a, a, a face to a name. Yeah, nice to meet you, man. Thanks for coming on on short notice and Matt messing up the schedule. I mean, I always plan on staying up late. I was going to have my cold brew, a little 11 p.m. volley chat, but now it's, you know, right in the middle of my, uh, of my day, Matt. So, yeah, let's make it happen. You guys You're welcome. It's, <laughs> a nice, it's a nice break from a routine. <laughs> routine, like we've got that right now. Yeah, right. Be flexible, right, Matt? That's right. Adapt and I mean, survive. Matt's so flexible, he has to use Jackson's secondary Zoom because he can't figure out Zoom on his own. Here. Is that what's going on? <laughs> That's not true. It's just – uh, it's a monetary thing. You know? Right. There's limits, that aren't there? Yeah. 45 minutes just isn't enough for you, Keegan. you got to keep <laughs> going for 75. <laughs> Oh, my, my, my biggest stress for the last few weeks was what is my song going to be? That's what I've been thinking about. And how, how am I going to get judged based on that? It's an important decision. I'm glad you've been thinking about it. You got to remember your why in this whole thing, right? So when yeah. you pick that song, it's got to be you. It's, it's pretty authentic. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get this thing going, man. The... One, thanks for coming on. We're super stoked to have you. Jackson's been uh, pumping the coaching train lately. I think he's over hearing athletes speak. Not over it, just want a little balance to my life. Uh, he's over it. So we're stoked to have you on. One, because you're a great guy. And two, you just happen to be the head coach at the University of Washington, which is yeah. okay. All right. I know why I'm here. It's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Glad. Um, so, I guess, how did it start? Where did you start volleyball? Yeah, I started the game uh, in Northern California. I was the younger brother of a, of a sister who was, was pretty uh, gifted, ended up being a Division One player. And so, I got dragged around to gyms, you know, and, and I think my story is not that unique. I think a lot of young boys are like that. You're just sitting at these tournaments from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And finally, you just steal a ball from the ball cart and start, you know, doing your thing in a corner until it rolls on the court and everyone yells at you, you know, like that was the life that, that I was living back then. And um, 
it was, it was interesting. There was a group of guys who were a little older than me that, that made boys volleyball kind of a thing. And, it, and um, Evan Paddock is the name that people will know, but he had a group of guys, they were one year older than me and they started playing in middle school at lunch. And, uh, and so then a bunch of younger guys started playing as well. And, and so that kind of became our crew from sixth grade to eighth grade playing boys volleyball against girls only, you know, we didn't, I didn't play against a boy until high school, you know? So it's just whatever it takes to play. We had a good group kind of making it happen. That name was brought up last segment. Mansfield brought him up too. Oh, really? Yeah, because I asked him, I was like, did you cross paths with Paddock? And he's like, he's a bull. Yeah, man. There was, there was Evan at our high school, and then there were five guys just making Evan great, you know, just <laughs> how do we get this guy the ball? And my favorite memory of Evan is – uh, sadly, we lost his senior year in the, in the finals of, of NCS or CIF, whatever it was called back then, and it was side-out scoring. So Evan had 52 kills and 18 blocks, and we lost in five sets, which <laughs> says, a lot, says a lot about what my contribution during that match. But, yeah, amazing teammate and player, of course. So, yeah, shout-out so to Evan. He's out there. <laughs> so then going forward, did – was it an active choice to not pursue college volleyball or was it something that was bestowed <laughs> on you because there wasn't a lot of opportunity? It's a really nice way of saying you're six feet tall and don't jump very high. So what exactly was your plan? Um, well, cause then you went on and majored in math. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? You know, I, um, again, my sister went to St. Mary's college of California. I ended up kind of following her there, but we didn't go to school together. She graduated and I walked in. And, uh, and she was a big shot. So she got me some automatic cred and some friends, you know, within the athlete community. And I was actually a student manager um, for, the, for the late John Stevenson. And I was helping out just in the gym, just doing whatever. And um, I didn't even know that I was in the presence of like a pretty damn good coach, you know, doing his thing. And um, I just happened to be there. But no, you know, when I look back, Matt, on my, on my playing career, it certainly led me to like, want to coach I had a bunch of really good coaches when I was young and then I and I had a moment in high school where I got cut from my 18s team and and it's an interesting story I got called we had a two-day tryout and after day one you know I'd been at this club for a number of years and the coach called me and he said hey you're having the best tryout I've ever seen like you're playing great no matter what you do tomorrow you're not going to make the 18 ones and 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 I just like, it, it, it gutted me. Like it just gutted me like to my core, you know, like just, I loved the game and I loved my teammates and, and just to like, you play at this club for two years and they're like, Hey, you know what? You're just, you're not the guy anymore. And uh, sorry. And it just gutted me. And, uh, but it totally lit a fire in me, of course, to, to improve and get better. And, but I have like just different moments like that where like coaching made a big impact on me and, and, so when I went to college, I think you said I, I wanted to be a, a high school math teacher and, and coach high school volleyball. That was that was the master plan at age eighteen. So, how did it develop over time? Like, was it just one step at a time? You're nineteen, or like community college? It is. <laughs> uh, you know, I think significant events. Like my sister was coaching high school in in the Bay Area, and so when I was in college, she's like, "You need to come help me out at this high school." So I was an 18 year old coaching 15 year olds, like as if I knew what was going on. And then one year later she left. And so now I'm a 19 year old coaching the varsity team, you know? And um, so I'm just in it, I'm in the fire. And I remember they, 
they hired uh, an adult to kind of be with me. So I would write practice and run practice. And there was a guy who was a lawyer that would come after work and just kind of be there, you know, and, uh, and, you know, say a couple things and be around, but he was kind of just like, Hey, there's an adult in the room here, even though Keegan's kind of coaching the team, but um, it made a big impact on me because I was always coaching athletes pretty close to my age level. So when I was 19, I was coaching 18 year olds. And when I was 21 and I graduated from St. Mary's, I was coaching 20 year olds, you know? So looking back, that had a big impact on me. I always had to um, behave um, beyond my years in order to, kind of carry the respect of the teams that I was working with, you know, but it was just a consistent theme in my life, you know, just having to kind of be older than I am. And now I just get to be old and it's great, but yeah. You're not that old. <laughs> do you, do you think that like as a 19, 20, 21 year old it's saying like, okay, I need to present my what or myself in such a way and like have this demeanor to feel older or look older do you think that actually helped you or do you think these kids just acknowledge you for who you were and like the knowledge that you had anyways? That's a good question. I like that. We're just getting into it. Um, <laughs> I think that kids are kids and, and they, they really want to have the respect or even just be liked by their coaches. And so I think these young kids, there's moments where these young kids like, they, they cross that line where it's like, Hey, I'm not your friend. I'm your coach, you know, but they kind of approach that line. And I just remember being young. I had to just be really firm in those moments. Like, yeah, no, don't, you're not texting me. Yeah. We're not operating on that. You know, I'll see you at practice and your mom can call me, but don't send me a text message, you know, and it was just kind of setting some really clear boundaries. And then there were just moments you just get exposed to things really early, you know? So when I was a high school coach, this is a, a bit of a gnarly story, but I think it's important we all go through these training sessions about, um, you know, appropriate and inappropriate behavior for coaches and um, how to spot signs of abuse. And, and we go through it a lot. And um, when you're in it at a young age, you're like, come on, why am I, in, why am I going through this? This is a four hour impact session. Uh, you know, it's brutal. But when I was about 19 years old, uh, a rival coach uh, at the high school system I was in had, crossed the line and and one of his athletes who played on my club team told me and now all of a sudden I've got this really gnarly knowledge of something that's going on and I remember having to walk into the superintendent's office of the school district you know as a, as a 19 year old kid and be like you need to know about this you need to do something about this and um just being in something that you never think you'd be in you know in your coaching career and and um and it's gnarly looking back on it that I did that but um just made me grow up really fast you know and just <laughs> give a lot of meaning to what, what, what we were doing so yeah Jesus yeah not to just put a damper on the show right away but these things exist you know people don't create these safety classes because things don't happen you know that bad, sure. bad news will come to your desk and I, and I got bad news earlier than I thought I would you know well, it's great that you acknowledge it and you didn't just like sweep it under the rug I feel like that happens a lot more often than people even want to say yeah I, I'd have to agree with you on that so then moving forward, you, I think, one, I think it's hilarious. What did your math professor call you when you graduated from the math degree? Yeah, yeah, this was, um, so I'm the only bachelor of art in mathematics probably ever from the uh, St. Mary's <laughs> College of California because you always get a, a BS in math on a BA. But probably my junior year, 
it's a really small group of math majors. There's probably six per class, you know, and, um, and, you know, I was struggling with differential equations or abstract geometry too. And he just kind of put his hand on my shoulder and said, Keegan, you're an arithmetic major, not a math major, like do the best you can. This is kind of like, this <laughs> kind of like <laughs> moment of like, you don't like there's mathematic and then there's like tangible and real math is not that tangible. It's like theories and proofs. And, um, it just never, my mind never could get around it. And, and <laughs> thankfully they had, they had mercy on me and they gave me my C minus and sent me on my way. You know? but, uh, yeah, that was an important moment, you know, cause a lot of colleges figuring out what you're not supposed to do. And so it took me, it was like, yeah, you're not supposed to be a math teacher or a math professor. Like let's go find another path. That was an impactful moment for sure. Then after you graduated, you hung around St. Mary's. Did you have an assistant job straight out of college or were you a volunteer at first? Yeah, so let's see. I was, I was a volunteer student manager for two and a half years. And, and that was kind of where I got my start. I was coaching club at night. I was volunteering. I was going to school. And um, it just so happened that the second assistant at St. Mary's left with maybe a month before the school year ended. So yeah, I graduated on a Friday and I went to work on a Monday and it was kind of like, yeah, it's just either, you know, just the best timing because much of life is timing. But, um, you know, I think the people I was working with at the time, Rob Browning, Sam Crossan, who's the head coach at Cal, I think they could see that I was all in, you know, I had been coaching club for four years at that point. I was, I was all in and, and they gave me an opportunity um, to, to get on staff with those guys, which again, a big big moment you think because that that's three male paid coaches on staff and you don't see that you didn't see it often back then but you definitely don't see it often now do you think that's possible to happen now it, it's it's you know it, it again it wasn't that common back then it was actually santa clara and st mary's i think had all male staffs and then i think the most high profile one that we know of now is, is Nebraska with, with John and, and Jalen and Tyler, you know? Um, and that's a, it's a really good topic. Um, yeah. I try to be careful with my words, you know, like I, um, one thing that we believe in or one of the principles of our university is diversity. And so when I hire, we just have a, a wide range of people and, and we make an active choice to do that. And I think it's important. So we worked really hard for our athletes. We cared about our athletes as a group of all male coaches. We had other staff members, trainers and, and, and volunteers who, who I think kind of rounded us out, but um, I don't know if it could have happened or, or that it should happen. You know, again, that that's, if we had another two hours to talk, we could go through that. But um, yeah, again, I, I we were together for five or six years down there as a staff, St. Mary's, Rob, Sam, and I, you know, really impactful time. So, yeah, rare, very rare. And again, one of the reasons why I think pretty lucky. What's, a, what's one, one thing that you learned from Sam is you first, that like just carried with you or one moment with Sam that you're like, okay. Yeah. I was going to say labeling folders because if you're with him, you would know that if you label folders incorrectly with too many spaces or not enough number of zeros, he's going to crush you, but that's not the thing. So um, the most impactful moment I had with Sam was probably we were 
reviewing film heading into the NCAA tournament and we're watching some big time, you know, power five schools that we're likely going to run into. And I'm, and I'm watching the film and I'm looking at them going, this doesn't make sense. Why are they doing that? Like, that's so, that's not a good use of their resources. And that's a bad play to run there. And I was just kind of critiquing, critiquing, critiquing. And he kind of stopped me. He said, Keegan, nobody knows anything, (laughs) which was kind of this statement of, just because they're at a big time school doesn't mean they're any better than you at coaching, you know, like just, we can beat anybody, you know, if we just play good volleyball. And it was just this kind of moment of, you can do this. You can, you know, you can, you can, we can, you can coach at the highest level. Like, don't think that, you know, just cause we're, you know, little St. Mary's that we can't just wreck people, you know? And um, that was the same year. It was Sam's last year where we lost 15, 13 at Stanford in the second round of the tournament, you know, and um, against Alex Kleiman and, you know, in her prime. And it was, you know, a big moment. Um, but yeah, that, that's my best Sam story. Um, not my best Sam story. That's a Sam story that I think people can learn from, you know, like you can do it, you know, you just, you got to get into the work, but there's nothing preventing you from, um, from coaching at whatever level you want to. Do you remember what your moment was in like your coaching career where you're like, I might actually be pretty good at this. Don't say I'm still waiting for it. Cause it's uh, a, <laughs> a fair critique. Um, <laughs> I coached a 16s club team that had my, my cousin on it. And um, you know, we were seated 27th in back then would have been like the national division or something and um and we we lost our first match and my cousin was so mad at me i hope she hears this one day she went up and she's just this kid never had cried all year she's just like a like a rock and she goes up into the top deck of like main court and just is bawling her eyes out and so i go up there and i talk to her and uh you know the poor kid was like a setter you know, in a five one and she's my cousin. And like, she's just hearing my voice every minute of every day, you know, for the last two years. And, um, you know, and there's all these complicated family dynamics and, um, but she kind of like brushed tears off her cheek. And then we went on to, I think we won every single match after that. We like, we might've only lost like one set and we were like starting to run into these big time clubs like a five and, and TAV, like with these division one athletes, these six, five monsters. And we've got like our two, five, eight outsides. And we're just serving and passing and siding out people to death. Like we're just wrecking people, you know, we're siding out at 75% and just kind of, we end up winning the whole thing. And it was like, after being seated 27th and it was kind of like, Oh, you know, we can do, we can do some things. We can, <laughs> we can teach and team has really good chemistry. And it was kind of, that was a pretty impactful moment. I'd say where it was like, all right, Let's see what we can do with this thing. Yeah, that's pretty twenty seventh to first. Yeah, <laughs> not bad. It was. It wasn't you know sixteen open, but it was still like yeah we we are far out kicking our coverage here, and um, you know it was it was it was special. That was a, a pretty big moment early in my coaching career, I'd say. Yeah. When when Sam left, and then that first assistant position open how badly did you want that first position (laughs) (laughs) man i worried about all the wrong stuff back then so funny you know like um at that point i was 23 or 24 and i was as hungry as i could be and um 
but I was just such a knucklehead. And um, so Rob was interviewing uh, a guy named Brent Crouch, who's the current head coach at uh, Auburn University. And it was kind of getting down to the end where I thought we were probably going to hire him. And, um, you know, there was just a moment where, you know, it's just me and Rob in the office. And, you know, and I said, Rob, I don't care what you pay me, but I'm the first assistant and he's the second assistant. <laughs> and, and, um, and it was, I don't know what that was about. You know, it's just being young and having an ego. And like, I had been working for Rob for five years and I don't know why I thought it was so important. And to this day, I apologize to Brent because for that first month, <laughs> you know, I was just so awful. I was just an awful, like, like teammate and just, you know, he was coming from, he had given up a, a job as a college professor to get back into coaching, you know, and, and he was, um, you know, he had some skin in the game to, to make it happen, you know, a real passion. And I was not very helpful in those first two months. You know? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, follow me. This is my group, you know, like, and uh, again, I, there aren't enough apologies that I could give him for how stupid I was as a young 23 year old, you know, but we had a couple great years together and, and ended up being really close by the end of it. But um, yeah, that was one of my finer moments. Uh, but, you know, it was important to me at the time. I don't know, just having responsibility, you know, and um, there wasn't a lot of money flying around at St. Mary's back then, you know, so it's like, <laughs> what can I fight? What can I fight for in this moment? You know, it's like, so, yeah. Sorry, you're taking me back. Good times. <laughs> Nostalgia. You guys are very good at nostalgia on this show. You're welcome. Do you remember? Do you remember the point in time where you were like, I think I've outstayed my welcome here at St. Mary's mm. and it's time for me to move on? Yeah, that's such an um, important moment, you know? Um, was it like a process? Obviously it's a process, but do you, were there steps involved or is it just a day or a year, like a preseason and off season where you're like, I just want something different or I just want something more or whatever it is. Yeah. I never felt that way. I, I mean, I've going to work was not like going to work. It was just life. I mean, I had been at St. Mary's for 10 years before I left, you know, so it was just, a part of who I was, you know, and, um, but I remember there were two things that struck me. One was we were about to return a very good team. So if I left, the team was going to be in a great place. They were, they were going to be really good. I didn't have to, I never wanted to leave at a peak, you know, and I think you see that a lot, right? Someone has an amazing year and then they vamos. And then the next group is got only a new coach, but they're trying to figure out a lot. And mm -hmm. to me that never sat well. And so, that was the first criteria was like, you know what? They're going to be just fine. They got two lefts who can score out of system. I'm okay to leave. And, uh, and then the second thing was coming back to Brent a little bit, but just an incredible person, you know, um, you know, who, you know, we had two great years together. I get to make fun of him and say, he's a lot older than me. He's 10, you know, he's older than me. And so, and he had a, a young family and all I thought was, what am I doing here? I'm just kind of like, standing in the way of this guy's path you know and there's no reason for me to like linger around i'm very comfortable but like what you're not supposed to be comfortable in life yeah. so kind of those were honestly the two biggest criteria that made me like open-minded to leaving in that spring and um 
yeah, and then it just, it, it always happens fast, right? Like nothing, nothing, nothing happens. And then boom, your whole life is flipped upside down and you're driving to Seattle and you know, what just happened. So um, yeah, that, that was, those were some of the things that were going through my mind back then, for sure. When you, when you did leave St. Mary's, were you in the mindset of want to be a head coach one day and you're continuing that path or was it just the next step or how did you frame that in your head? Um, yeah. This, yeah, I had a really good plan, you know, at, back then. <laughs> really, really defined and clear, you know. Um, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be a Pac-12 assistant for 10 years. It's going to be great. I'm going to learn a ton. and I'm going to be in the pack. And, you know, I'm going to work for one of the best coaches of all time. And, and that was the original, like, 10-year plan. And um, we know how that went. It did not stay according to that plan. But, um <laughs> I loved being an assistant. I think I was a great assistant. There's many days that I daydream of going back to being an assistant, which we can talk about. <laughs> but um, I, I do think that I had a head coach's mentality. I had been head coaching for forever, you know, at the club level. That was really, um, you know, I think head coaching is head coaching. I had been doing a lot of it. And so, yeah, I don't think anyone was looking at me going, he wants to be a lifetime assistant, which is not anything that I would, you know, say is anything other than wonderful. Like I said, I, I love being an assistant. I miss being an assistant many days. And I, um, but yeah, I think I knew what I wanted to be eventually, but how quickly it would happen was another story. Like you said, timing. Yeah. Timing. There you go. There's my title. I don't know. Good timing. <laughs> the good, the good timing coach. Yeah. I don't know. Mr. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> So what, who was, who was all there your first year at the UW roster wise? Yeah. A couple small time names, Krista, Krista Mantan, you know, being one, um, you know, she was um, heading into her junior year. Um, Jenny Nogueras was a setter. Katie Beals was a setter. Um, Kylan Munoz, who, who now coaches at Utah Valley, she was an opposite on that team. Kaylee Nelson, All-American opposite. Cassie Strickland, um, outside hitter slash Libro. Um, again, we had two middles, uh, Melanie Wade and Liana Sabeldin. We, we had a, a thin quality roster, as I would describe it. And we ran a 6-2. So, like, we were, you know, we had everyone out there going. And, um yeah, they had just, I think the year before in 2012, lost in the Sweet 16. And then, um, yeah, and then, but it was pretty clear from the moment I walked in the gym that like this was a team that was ready to make a run. You know, I had never seen physicality like that in any of my time, you know, and just like walking into that gym, I think I watched one session of backcourt doubles and watched like Leonis Belden hit an A ball. And I was like, oh my God. God, I do not belong here. You know, like just everyone was so <laughs> physical. And, um, but yeah, th that was a really impressive group um, from, from top to bottom, for sure. When you did make that transition up, principles stay the same and throughout volleyball, whatever level you're at. But did you find yourself coaching different things with the higher level athletes or maybe more physical athletes? Um. nothing changed for, for me in terms of what I was passionate about and in what I believed I could teach. I'm extremely fortunate that the staff there allowed me to coach 
you know, imagine this, you know, you've got this great team that's ready to make a run and some new guy walks in and starts coaching, serving as if, you know, it belongs to him when it doesn't, you know, like I, one thing I really recommend for young coaches is when you walk into a gym or a program that you seek to understand before wishing to be understood. Like, I think that's so important. Like you need to walk into the gym and go, what do they value here? What do they value? And so like a big part of my process when I got to Washington was I watched every match from the PAC 12 the year before and I data volume, they were already data volume, but I read data volume every single match so that I could know every moment and, and know every skill and know every player really deeply so that when I did have something to say that I had something to back it up, that I had done some work that, to understand what they were about. And the mistakes that I made in that first year all had to do with me not having that mentality of understanding the values of the program deeply and understanding what the vision of the head coach was. And, and um, you know, I was a go-getter. I had ideas to share. I thought I knew what I was doing a lot. And so sometimes I deviated from the vision of that program and I had to be kind of brought, brought back into that. But it helped me out as a head coach a lot, you know, and I, and I really would encourage assistant coaches to really deeply try and understand what they've walked into before they try and, you know, quote unquote, leave their mark on it for sure. Good stuff. How long did it take before J-Mac laid into you for the first time? Uh, it, timing, his timing was perfect. It was needed. <laughs> I didn't sleep, you know, I didn't sleep that night. And, um, and what I would say, and, and again, I think it's not my place to talk a ton about those teams because they weren't my teams. You know, I was in it, I was in the trenches with the crew, but there's so much more that, you know, as a head coach. Um, but what I would say is I would never have the capacity to do what I'm doing. If not for Jim McLaughlin. I would not have the, the capacity to, I would have washed out very quickly. And um, yeah, so I'm eternally grateful, not only for the opportunity, but that I am able to, you know, just handle the multitude of bad news that you get in this role and then keep moving forward, you know, and be, and not be such a sensitive guy like I was back then. <laughs> I was, yeah, stop crying so much, just get to work. So yeah, I was, I think I'm a little bit, I'm a lot stronger because of my time in those first couple of years, for sure. How long were you the assistant there before two, two years? Two seasons. Yep. 2013, 2014. Yeah. We went 62 and six over those two years, I think, you know, just, yeah. Your first year was the final four in Seattle. First year was the final four in Seattle. Um, yeah. We just were, we had won that Elite Eight match, which I think just replayed recently on, on TV. Is that when Canada. you guys were down 0-2 to SC and then turned it around? Yep. I just yeah. watched that match. It was a phenomenal match. Chris Devan's yeah. all yeah. world. Pretty epic moment. And then, you know, the, the, there's so many little stories that people don't know about, you know, like Gabby Parker, I think, had the final two kills, you know, in that match. And, um, Gabby Parker was kind of an, an OH three slash middle blocker three. She was just doing whatever the team needed, you know? And, um, and so to, you know, she gets those two kills, you know, after not playing most of her senior year that in a very meaningful role, but you know, that's the best part of the game. I think you, you both know, like when someone puts in a ton of work and then something just unexplainable happens like that is just, that's the stuff that gets me through those, you know, long serving past days, you know, just like the magic of it, you know? 
pretty amazing. Did you know? Did you know it was coming when Jim was like, "I'm out of here," or was you were you totally caught off? I mean, no, no, didn't know, didn't know. Yeah, just um, yeah. Again, it's been five seasons, and um, it was it was a surprise. And um, you know what I what I would speak to is kind of everything that happened. You know, after I got hired, you know, because um, I think this is another lesson. You know, people always say like, "Oh, are you ready? Are you ready, Jackson? Are you ready to coach at Reno? Are you ready, uh, Matt, to go play pro? Are you ready?" And the reality is, you're you're never ready. You're never ready for the job. <laughs> You're never ready for the role you've never had. Get out of here with that ready stuff, you know? The only question is, are you willing? Are you willing to just show up and, and go through that process? And so I just die every time I hear people say like, oh, are you ready for it? No, they're not ready for it. You can't be ready for it. Um, but you can be willing and you can show up every day and, and take it on the chin and dust yourself off and go again. And, and certainly that's what those early years were like, you know, just screwing it up having a teammate bail you out and pick up the pieces and go again. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any coach can, I think. Do you remember how, were you nervous for your first match as head coach? Oh, that's a good question. Was I nervous for my first match as a head coach? I think so. But again, I had a lot of confidence in, um, who our team was, you know, just in, in how quality they were. I'll, actually, I will tell you a moment that was um, scary. I'm trying to think if I have this timeline right, but we were, so my first year, I think we went out to American University uh, out on the East Coast. Americans got this great program and this great little gym, and um, they have an awesome RPI. So every big time school wants to play them. And so, um, you know, they're really smart. They know we all want to play them. So like, yeah, come play us. You're going to pay for your own flights and your own hotels. And yeah, come <laughs> on over. So we went out there to play and we played James Madison and maybe some other team. And then we're getting ready to play American and they're no dummies. They know what they're doing. They've got the gym packed. Like this is their biggest match of the year. Like they always bring in some ranked team. They pack it. They're fired up, ready to go. And they jumped us, you know? So like we're down two one. We're like ranked somewhere near the top 10 and we're down to American two one and we're playing the worst volleyball I've ever seen. Like we were just like, can't set quick. We're dumping everything to our outsides. One of our outsides has already taken 60 swings. Like it's just bad volleyball and like they're fired up and the, you know, they're getting let serves. It's all going bad, you know? And um, I remember looking over at Jason Tui, like we're really going to lose our first match to American, you know, like, if we lose this match, like people are just going to crush me. They're going to bury me and Washington volleyball is over. And, um, you know, we fight back and we fight back and, um, we, we end up winning in five again, just in just, we, you know, both teams probably hit a hundred. I don't even know. It was just like brutal. And I just remember going like, that was a disaster. Like, Oh my gosh, can we do this? And then you fast forward three months later and we're the Pac-12 champions, you know, like, it's just like, you just don't know. But like for that first weekend, it was like all my nightmares, like coming to fruition, right? Like everything that I've worried about happening is happening, you know, and it's like, it's all spiraling. And um, yeah, so that was a fun moment to laugh at now. Not so fun back then. Yeah. I can imagine. 
shout out to American University, great program, really impressive. Thanks for that learning moment. Thanks for that lifetime memory. Yeah. Who's the best kid you've coached in your time at the UW? Oh. Just say her name. I'll say I'll say someone, and then I'll, I'll give you a little better why, because because best is such a loose adjective. But um, Krista is the um, the the best player. But I think what makes Krista special is her willingness to be coached and her humility. You know. Um, just someone who, no matter what they accomplished, they showed up and they treated you the same each day. You know, um, if I had the abilities that she had, I think I would be uh, an egomaniac and not a very good person. <laughs> like, I've just never been around someone who's so fiercely loyal, who, you know, can show up when they're needed and who just doesn't, I mean, I'm just blown away. Again, you can just list the intangibles. And I think that's not uncommon. Like when you meet the best of the best, you know, they just, they're there for a reason, you know, beyond just their ability level and they stay the best for a long time. You know, um, just talent is rare, but talent plus intangibles is even more rare. And, um, and KB has the whole package and um, yeah, certainly saw some incredible things and, and thankful that I had two years, wish I had 10 with her, you know, really impressive amongst a large list. I mean, a large list of people who are impressive for, for different reasons that I've worked with. And, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Do you were, I mean, obviously working with Tui has got to be awesome considering like her whole family embodies Seattle sports in general. Yeah. What's, what's one thing that you've learned, not necessarily about volleyball, but just about like the university of Washington and what it stands for from Tui. Man, my one-liner that I tell people is like, you know, Tui's in charge and I'm a glorified mascot, you know, like she's, she is Washington Bible, you know, and um, she has such a um, pride in the university and she is, will never hesitate if I am drifting outside of the values of the university. She'll never hesitate to go, hey, no, no, bring it back here. You need to recenter yourself um and and what are we about you know and and that i think is a very undervalued skill not to go off on a tangent but thinking about the coaches who might be listening candor is really important being able to tell the people you work with and people you care about that they're not doing a very good job for some reason or that they've drifted away is important so um that's that's something that tui has um the reason why i love the University of Washington is I think it's one of the few places where you don't have to choose between high performance and high character. There is a tremendous pressure to play the game at the highest level, but we're never going to have to sacrifice recruiting awesome people who really value their education. And, and so that part of it really connects with me, you know, and, and maybe the better way to explain it is I don't want to be a pro coach yet. I don't want to, you know, be performance only. I, I wanted to be a teacher growing up and I love coaching as an educator. I don't want to be, uh, 
you know, just a professional performance coach. And I worry about that with the future of college sports, you know, which is a topic of its own, which is if we become some sort of semi-pro model, I just don't know if that's going to be for me. You know, I just don't know if that's going to connect with me like being an educator does, you know. Um, So, you know, people are excited about the possibilities of what could happen in the future, but I just think we have to be careful. What we have is pretty special. You know, uh, the amateur athlete experience going to school and competing is pretty cool. And I don't, I haven't met very many pros who look back on their college careers and go, that was the worst. Well, what a raw deal, you know, like, I think, I don't know, you're a pro Matt, but there's special times or formative times in your life, you know, I mean, so. formative is definitely the word that I would use the heaviest for sure. I mean, you walk in, I mean, you walk in and walk out two completely different people, both of whom don't know anything still but at least you have some kind of identity when you're walking out the door. And it could be from your university experience, your social experience, your athletic experience, and like a multitude of other experiences that, you know, are provided to you or you go out and seek, but they're huge, man. They are huge, especially playing abroad with Europeans that don't have that ability to go to Mm -hmm. school. You know, and like they have to figure it out on the fly, kind of. They don't have that structure. It's, yeah, I mean, it's life changing to say the least. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't want to see it go away. And I, and I wish we had to do a better job of telling the stories of like just how cool it is and how unique it is. Cause not everyone has been out, most people have not been outside of the country and been in the pro scene or talked to pro players and, and know their mentality. And, and, um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you. Just it's it's a, it's a special deal. But once again, as head coaches do, I've taken us on a tangent. So someone get us back on track, Jackson. All right. Um, so you had a really nice run last year, and with the way the world's working right now, as of right now, the pack is having a season. Um, what is kind of your mentality going into this year, this season? Is it how much is it of safety and all that kind of stuff more than usual or is it just know that we're coming off a good year and we're trying to make another run yeah i think my mentality is with so much going on outside of uh our footprint that i'm really excited about the idea of just zooming way in on the 14 or 15 kids that are um, in our gym and who knows what the structure of practice is going to look like. Who knows when they're going to let us play a match. But I can really just zoom in on uh, my 15 kids. You know, I don't need to worry about UCLA, you know, for a few months maybe. And so I'm just going to be – I'm getting excited about the idea of having a really narrow vision on our athletes and, and where they're at. And, um, and, and that is an exciting and helpful mindset for me. You know, just there's so many things – above me that are swirling that I can't control. Um, and so I get to kind of, you know, peek in every once in a while, Hey, are we getting any closer? No. Okay. I'm back on my athletes and, um, I'm excited about that. I have not coached in a very long time and it has not made me, uh, the best version of myself. And, and this, there's some moments that I've appreciated being with my family, having some, some road trips, I haven't road tripped in a long time, you know, with, with my, with my wife. And, but I know that I, volleyball isn't just a profession, as you know, as you both know, you know, it's so closely tied to who you are. So when you take it away, 
you're not your best self. And, and so I'm really excited to, I can't believe say this, just serve a thousand volleyballs over a net at a player, you know, and just be back in it. And um, just, it, I just have come away with a new appreciation of how much meaning, you know, this, this, you know, vocation has for me as an individual. So. What kind of things have you been doing with the team and the staff uh, in the last five months? I'm sure a lot of video things, but anything maybe unique or something that went really well with the team? Yeah, we've all been kind of calling each other throughout the business. What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, for the first time, we did a, a shared book reading. We read a, read a book called Legacy about the New Zealand All Blacks. And um, what was cool about it is it's a book focused on culture and a lot of off the court um, behaviors and, and, and principles. And so when you're not on the court, it kind of was perfect because now they were able to really think about our culture, how it's going to change with a new group of players, what we want to keep in place. And it just was an awesome kind of launch point for, for our weekly discussions. And so we only read about two chapters a week and then circled up and, and had different questions about it. And um, that was probably one of my favorite um, moments because the athletes were really taking a step back and looking at our program from a different vantage point. I thought that was really cool. Um, we did some film stuff where we asked them to look at players um, from the past at Washington and, and describe why they had success, describe them as a player. What do you notice? Um, I don't think our sport does a great job of celebrating the history of, of teams, you know, and, and really exposing our athletes to, former athletes it's like you know they know whoever's playing right now and they know carrie walsh like that's that's what we got and like uh -huh. i'll ask recruits hey tom have you ever seen krista van zandt play and nothing that's like if you don't know who that is and, and you're gonna know who that is pretty quickly when we get to washington you know um so i think we've tried to spend some time showing them hey look at this player she was 18 years old just like you and look what she can do you can do it too I think that's so important, like giving athletes a vision for who they can become and getting them fired up on it is, is a pretty cool deal. And, and so that maybe would, you could lump up a lot of what we did with film with, with that. So, yeah. Yeah, Marv is pretty big on that concept too, especially when we're in camp. Actually, I remember saying it when I worked camp with you guys and you said, does anybody else have something to say? And I was like, yeah, I think it's important as camp counselors, which are, your athletes right to go out and do a great job at playing the game because nobody's here to watch us coach nobody really cares about us coaching if we're being honest here the reality is they're here because they want to see UW athletes perform at a high level right in front of them mm -hmm. right and so like you know you see and you do if you tell them it doesn't mean it's always going to go through but when you see Karabajima hitting sharp angle some 14 year olds like I think I might have a chance yeah. to be able to do something like that. At least I can try. Yeah. Again, no one's ever, you know, when you see, when you have a vision for who you can become, it's extremely motivating, you know, and you hear about it in a lot of different areas of life, you know, making sure that we elevate those people. So again, I really wish volleyball did a better job of um, just showing kids who they can become, you know, um, you know, we got some work to do in that regard for sure. Yeah. I, so you've told me two great stories, like incredibly quotable for me. 
and I talked to I talked to Maddie about both of them yesterday, and we were just laughing it up. Oh, and I think one of them one of them was you worked with, in my eyes, the most competitive man I think I've ever met in my journey so far, Jonathan Winder, and it, I mean that guy. If if you're getting it done, he's all right. If you're not, he's gonna let you know about it. For me as a setter, for sure especially since he was a setter. But I remember you told me he either you went into his office or he came into your office and said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he probably hates me because I tell this story all the time about him, but it, 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 it comes back to um, this concept of, of candor. So we'll just put it in context. So I hired Jonathan. That was the first thing I did when, you know, after I became head coach and, um, hired him away from Pepperdine men's volleyball in the middle of the season, which I'm sorry for. for yeah, if you you kind of needed him. I needed him. I needed yeah. one more year. I, I wasn't, you know, again, fully aware of what I was doing in that moment. But um, so we're, we're in our first year together. And what always impressed me with Jonathan was his confidence in his anything. You know, if he went recruiting and he found a player, that player was one of the top five players in the class. And, uh, and I'm like, Jonathan, you've been, that was your second recruiting event. Like how could you possibly know that that, that girl is going to be so good and be so confident, but he has wherever he is, he's got a huge belief in himself and who he's with and what they're doing. It's the best, you know? And, um, and I've always admired it because I'm much more of a self doubting person, you know, slow to act, think about, you know, and Jonathan is just like, Oh no, I'm here and we're going for it. So that's the background of, of Jonathan. And, and I don't know if you would agree with that assessment, but we all know it's true. So we're, <laughs> we're three quarters of the way through the Pac-12 in our first season together. And we're in a dogfight with um, Stanford and USC for the Pac-12 title. We're all tied. Every week we're tied. Everyone's just winning, winning, winning. We're all tied. And, you know, I'm – seeing that it's possible like we have a chance to win this thing and so i'm walking into every practice looking at every single free ball pass every single swing every single serve it's all results and it's all reacting to results and saying things like you must we need to you have to i mean just language that was just just putting it on the kids to be perfect you know in every moment and that they and that the margins of error are so thin that if you make that one mistake in practice it's going to cost us everything. So sounds like a lot of fun, right? It's just in terms of having a coach who's doing that. And so Jonathan walked into my office after practice and um, I'm still all keyed up and he's just kind of like circling my office like a shark. And I'm just like, yo, what do you want? And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I've played for quite a few coaches in my time all over the world. And uh, I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't want you to be my coach. I wouldn't want to play for you right now. <laughs> and imagine just like the record player in the room, just like, just like stopping, you know, and it's like dead silence and you're looking at each other and it's like, I think I said like, yeah, okay, got it. And like, you know, get out of here. And he left. And then I went to my car and I just sat there, you know, and just thought, man, if Jonathan Winder has a problem with me, it's not, his problem it's my problem you know like, <laughs> like if i must be in a really bad place and i sat in my car for a half hour you know probably bawled my eyes out you know and then um 
you know, Tui called me because she is aware of everything and, and just said, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. She's like, okay. And we just, but it changed, you know, you walk into the space the next day and you're certainly in a different mindset and a much healthier one. And um, you stop coaching from that place of fear. And, and that would maybe be the lesson there is when you're coaching from a place of fear, you're always going to be your worst. And when you're coaching from a place of who you like sincerely want to be, then you're going to be your best. And I was coaching from a place of fear and Jonathan Winder is not going to let you do that for very long. So yeah, shout out to him for helping us win the conference title, you know, that year in that moment, because I certainly could have screwed it up. Not bad. Was Liana Subble then on that team as well? Yeah, Liana was, uh, um, was she a senior that year hitting 400. Yeah, I think that's the year she was, she was doing special things then. Oh, that's another good story. Is which that, I just, is this the same year? Yeah. Cheers. So uh, for those of you who don't know. Tough year for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> just screwing it up left and right. So she told me this story about a week ago. And you and I had talked about this story. So yeah. we were heading into the tournament. And Liana is currently the NCAA leader in hitting efficiency at like 406 or something. And we're in our first round match against Denver. And I think we're playing Michigan State, possibly the winner of Michigan State and someone in the next round. And I was like, you know what, Jonathan, like, I, I really believe we're going to win this match. I want you to run Liana on wide quicks only. Like, don't let her hit a tight quick the entire match. I don't want them to see what she can do. I don't want Michigan State to see it in person. Like, let's just set her wide quicks. Now let's remember that we probably haven't set Liana a wide quick since August and it's December <laughs> something. And so she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you got to get better at it. I think is what I told her. Like we got to get better at it. We might need this later on in the tournament. So we run her on uh, wide quicks exclusively. We probably set her like eight of them and she goes like four, four, you know, 10 and hits zero and it drops her to a 396 setting efficiency on the year. And she doesn't win the award for highest setting efficiency because of that one match <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> to this day she still gives me a little hard time about it but um yeah that was an example of over coaching a little bit you know here I was you know trying to be cagey and and you know throw off our next opponent and um now I just have to apologize every time I see Liana for for doing that <laughs> yeah that was that that moment but that's probably not the story you were thinking of Liana right there's another one no there's sure. another one okay you're just, we're gonna get are these all in the same year? It's just a rough. <laughs> these are all in the stress, same year. The stress was at like an all-time high. This is this is uh, the reason why it was uh, a, a learning year. But so, in my first spring, we are in our May spring training period, which for Washington volleyball is like a sacred time. Like we are getting after it. You know, most of the semester schools are done, and we're now just starting our spring season. And we are just all volley, you know, going hard and just really zooming in on volleyball. And um, it's my first training camp. And, um, you know, I'm the new head coach. And here I am thinking that I need to kind of like set the tone and like, you know, it's business as usual and we got work to do. And, and I'm being really firm and really just on them. And um, gosh, I swear I'm not as bad a coach as I sound like. So we... Um, <laughs> We're, we, we finish a hard practice, we go into the gym, and Liana walks into my office. A lot of exciting things happen in the head coach's office, like for all you assistants. When the door gets shut, it's going down, in case you're all curious. So Liana walks in, and, and she, her and I had a really close relationship. And um, she, we, we, I had worked with her for two years as an assistant, and 
she sits down and she's looking at me. I'm looking at her and she's starting to say something and she's getting kind of tongue tied. I said, Liana, just spit it out. And she goes, and this is the worst part. She goes, Kiki, which she thought she could call me uh, Kiki, which was like what my niece and nephew called me. She thought it was hilarious. So that's what she called me. She goes, you need to know something. We'll play for a hard ass, but we won't play for an ass. And that was it. That was the line. That was the line. And again, so like, here we go. Like, just knock me back in my chair. And then it's like, okay, see you at training table. And, you know, and she leaves. And um, like, she doesn't know that she's just like leveled me, you know. Um, but again, again, it's, it's candor. But also the lesson I would say, and we talked about this, Matt, is like how you receive bad news is a really big deal as a coach because if you react to bad news you know and and you know in a poor manner that leaves it as a negative experience for the athlete they're not bringing you bad news ever again it doesn't mean bad news isn't happening it's just now happening without you knowing and so um leon and i had such a good relationship um that she felt comfortable to tell me that you know but then also to let me know other bad news and so what i would say to all the coaches out there is be really good in those moments, you know, when an athlete brings you bad news, because, you know, that is what you're paid for. <laughs> you're paid to get bad news. And, and, and again, I still to this day, I can't remember who told me that, but I called some head coach. I don't know if it was Rob or Marv. And I was whining about all the things that were going wrong. And, uh, and they stopped me and just said, you know, you're paid to get bad news, right? Like, you get bad news and the person above you gets worse news and the person above them gets worse news. Like that's how it works. Your job is to handle the bad news. Well, and that was a big paradigm shift because in the moment I thought I was just screwing it up, but in the reality was things are going to happen and, and how you respond to them is so important. So there you go. Boy, oh boy. Taking me back to a, a, a what the line I used to use people be like, how's it going? And I would say, Oh, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> which is like, it's really hard. Like it's, I can't, I don't have the time, but I'm, I'm just going to use the line of I'm learning a lot, you know, like that's, that's the line. What's a, what's one thing that you learned? Cause I, yeah. Cause I was there for a little bit of preseason and I was like, I think both of us were like, I think they're in a pretty good place. We just don't know exactly how it's going to pan out. What's one thing through that preseason and then like probably around the halfway point like that you learned where you're like, okay, like we're in a good place. I did. I think I've done a pretty good job. And then going forward by the end of it, you were like, all right, this might've not been where we wanted to go, but this is how I feel about X, Y, Z. And like, this is why. Mm. Are we talking about this past season or the yeah. first season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can just go this past season. Oof. Yeah, it was, it was, um, you know, I'm trying to remember all the different parts of your question. Very thorough question. Um, you know, the preseason was a, a big confidence booster for us just in that we kind of went for it from a scheduling standpoint. We went, we went really hard and, um, played San Diego, played Hawaii, who played us in an incredible match and just beat us in Hawaii as it often goes in Hawaii. And I don't think enough people last year got to see how good that Hawaii team was in August. They, they were unbelievable. They had a pretty significant injury to, to some of their players. But 
the Wisconsin matches were pretty meaningful. You know, that, that was obviously one of the best teams in the country as they were in the final. And um, we went there, we won on the road, we came home, we won again. And um, we, we just, that was a moment where it was like, okay, there is no ceiling. Cause you, you can tell your athletes like, Hey, we can do this. We can win this match. But when they experience it, like it's a different level of confidence, you know, when, when you're not like, and, and throughout that whole preseason, we had been everywhere. We played at Creighton, at Hawaii, at Wisconsin. And so I didn't have to like try and convince them that we could do certain things. We had already done them. It's like, listen, we've gone here. We've played that team. They're the number one right now. We beat them. Like, what can't we do? And, and I think that is an important message that, that we had. Um, and then of course, some unfortunate things happened throughout the rest of the year. And then it was just a matter of reframing, you know, like the bad things that happened, which I think is something that I learned from Courtney Thompson, which is, it's so important that you reframe negative experiences into positive ones, you know? And um, the one that sticks out to me was uh, we lost to Washington state in five at home, our last conference match, for the second time, you know, losing to your conference rival, you know, we had just beat Utah in an epic match. And then we lose to Washington State at home on senior night during the Apple Cup with a senior class that I love dearly, you know, and, and it's just you're gutted. But then you have this opportunity to go, you know what, how do I reframe this? And it's like, if we had to lose that match in this moment, then it, we better make it worth it. We better do something cool in December. Like if we're gonna, if we had to go through that, then it's for a reason and it's because we're going to make our run here in December and just very quickly, like taking something super negative and reframing it in a sincere way as, as, as a positive experience. That, that was kind of um, something that I think was big time for us to make us respond. You know, it's like you get gutted on Saturday and the tournament shows on Sunday, like you don't have a whole lot of time to like yeah. get going again, you know? Yeah, you can't so, really grieve. Yeah. It was kind of like, yeah. December mindset that that's something that I think I would encourage a lot of coaches to think about is begin with the end in mind. You, you know, all your decisions are about being your best to me in, in, in the most important moments. So don't wait. I waited a lot of my early years as a head coach to make changes that I should have made earlier, you know, that I knew were right in September and I waited till November to make them, you know, and, and that's something that I think you need to learn as a coach, you know, do you feel that that was just like a lack of experience or like confidence, like a self-belief thing? Or was it just like, oh, I just, I really don't think it's going to help that much at the end of the day? I think it was more of a, um, being objective and, and letting players play themselves in and out of roles is really important to me. You know, like giving people like, a legitimate opportunity. And I, and I, and I would, and I asked my players this a lot, like, did you get a fair shake? Do you think you got a fair shake? Not every one of our players, the story has gone like they wanted it to. We've had players lose their starting roles. We've had players get starting roles late, you know, but I, and I don't think a lot of them would go, I got a raw deal, you know, because we do go through a process that, you know, there's a lot of communication and there's a lot of like, Hey, this is what you need to do in order to have the role that you've been given. And if you can't do it, we love you. We support you, but you need to have a smaller role. And, and, and so like, I think that's what made me slow to make some changes that I knew needed to be made. I just had to let it play out. You know, I had to give them, I had to give them, I had to kind of have some more to bring to the table. You know, even if I saw it early on, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but like you have to let, let it happen, you know, kind of naturally. How do you balance giving somebody too much of a leash 
versus cutting it off early? Or is that just an experience thing? It's a really good question. Um, Jonathan was really big on reminding me how important that like they're not chess pieces. You can't just move them in and out of the game. Yeah. You know, like, like when you move them out, if you move them out in the middle of a set, what kind of message they receive as a player, you know, that was, I, I had lost touch with that and him being someone who played at a much higher level, he could speak to the effect that some of the decisions I was making, how they would affect certain players. You know, I was just seeing it as like, Oh man, we're in row six. We can't side out. I'm putting my, uh, my outside three at the M2 position. She's going to run a go. Like I was doing like a lot of this kind of like solve the problem stuff. And yeah. he's like, dude, you are, you are just crushing that kid right now. What are you doing? Like, she doesn't know what her role is. You've confused her. And um, so how do you balance? I don't know. Experience helps, but I think communication is something that also helps a lot. Being, you know, you know, I'm not going to at all claim this, but Marv's saying of how you say no is more important than how you say yes. If, if I haven't thought about that a hundred times in the last five years, because as coaches, we say no so often. We say, no, you're not going to start tonight. No, you can't come to the University of Washington. No, you're not going to be in service Eve. But how you say it is really the deal. If you say it the wrong way, you can lose someone or you can crush someone's confidence. And so I really think about that a lot as I go into some of those hard conversations. You know, like, no, you're not going to have the opportunity that you think you're going to have, you know, this season or tonight. It's just such a big deal, especially in a game that moves fast. You know, like yeah. when you're, when you're down 0-2, you're making moves to try and get back in the game and, you know, but <laughs> you're making moves quick and um, you can do a lot of damage if you're not careful. For sure. Do you, I mean, it's like a once in a generation type player, I guess, or, you know, like every eight, four years, do you, how long do you wait before you like recognize that like this kid is your, not the franchise, but like, this is your leader. Mm -hmm. This is your, this is your alpha. Mm -hmm. How long does that usually take? Or does it just depend on the kid before you're like, here are the kid, like the keys of the kingdom, like just take us to the promised land now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, just, you can see it, but in the eyes of a player's teammates to me, like they have to prove it to their teammates, you know, a, a certain number of times before, like you might, I think a coach sees it long before a player earns it in the eyes of her teammates, you know, but there's always a moment and you got to be paying really close attention, like in a training camp or in the preseason where like something happens, you know, and someone, asserts themselves, you know, and, and, and in that moment, you have to be ready to strike and go, you know what, I subbed you in in game three, and you took over. And you know what, we're riding with this, you know, like you, you made the most of your opportunity when it came. So you get to go for it again, you know, and um, yeah, it's a great question. It's a great thing to think about. Um, it happens at different times for different players, for sure. You know, um, I mean, that, that is a little bit of the story. Again, it's pretty fresh with Kara, you know, early on, not in, so much in her junior or senior year, but in her sophomore year, you know, she moved in and out of that outside hitter role, you know, and, um, and, you know, I wasn't playing her for a, a period of time because I didn't think she had 
earned it. You know, she had gotten an opportunity and she hadn't nailed it. You know, she had missed the opportunity. And so she had to wait for her next one. And it led to some hard conversations, you know, where it's like, I can do this. And it's like, yeah, I agree. But you know what, for now, you don't get to do this. You'll get to do it. And then, you know, in the tournament, you know, in our, in our match against Illinois, she's got 27 kills and it's like, you know, it all led up to that moment. And then all of a sudden it sets her up for the next two years of her career. But, you know, it's got to go when it's got to go, I guess is what I would say, you know, yeah. it just if you force it too early, and this is a good coaching thought, Jackson, is just if you give someone too much responsibility too early, you can really crush their confidence and then you're going to get set back for a long time. And I used to be big on like addressing every weakness, a kid that walked into Washington with and being like, we got to fix this, this, and this, instead of letting them do what they're great at, you know, let them do what they're great at. And then we're going to add a couple more things that are going to make you even you know, better. But um, that's a mistake that I made a lot early on is that I, and I, I gave kids too much responsibility and I just destroyed their confidence. So, um, cause they just weren't equipped to handle it, you know? So I think I've gotten better at that. Do you notice too, as a coach, like the, like a roster or like that group of kids, do you see them searching for a leader at points? Like if somebody has not risen up yet, maybe in a preseason or like there's a turn of classes or whatever, and somebody mm -hmm. just left, that was like the alpha before. Mm -hmm. Do you see the kids like seeking it kind of? And like the, it could be a, a variety of different ways, like a lack of communication from the beginning of preseason or you feel like you have to be more of a domineering force than usual. Do you like, do the kids provide you with that information as well of like, we need a leader. We need mm. somebody to guide us. Mm. They do, but not, not with their words directly. Yeah, I don't think, I think for sure. with for, their behavior, I mean, just with know? their actions and their demeanor. Yeah. I mean, I think here's a moment I think a lot of coaches can resonate with. Like you've been in a six on six wash drill for 15 or 20 minutes and it's not going well, and no one has said anything. I mean, that, that, is, that is the yeah. epitome of we don't have a leader, you know? And as a coach, you might try and insert yourself and then insert yourself again, and then, but you're in trouble, you know? Like, everyone can see. You, everyone can see it's not going well, but no one is, you know, jumping out there, uh, you know, on a ledge to go for it, you know? And, um, that to me is, is, is a sign. We've all had teams like that where, oof, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. You, you need people to go for it and put themselves on a ledge. And there's all sorts of situations. I mean, again, this could be a long conversation, but sometimes you have people who are willing to lead, but they haven't um, invested enough time in their teammates. So they have no followers. I think that's a very common situation. So they're saying all the right things in your presence, but they haven't laid the groundwork, you know? You have kids who do all the right things and have the respect of their teammates, but they don't have the courage to put their voice out there enough, you know? Um, but again, I think kids that are willing, I always want to work with kids that have that natural inclination to lead, and then we're going to work on it from there. I think that's a lot easier than someone who doesn't want to lead, you know, they just want to have a different role, which is okay. You know, it's not for everyone, but we always try and gravitate towards kids who want to lead and then help them from there. I think it's the way that I would want to do it if I could, but yeah, so important. You, you, you remember how important leadership is when you get it right. You know, <laughs> like yeah. it's one of those things, you know, when you have it and you know, when you don't, you know, 
for sure. It's definitely a feeling that it's an atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, they essentially they set the tone every day. With, I mean, it can just at a certain point in time, it just becomes a presence. You know, it, it's not sure. even, they don't even need to communicate that anymore. They do organically because it's the people that they are, but they walk into the gym and everybody knows like we're on, we're in. Yeah. In the analogy I always give them, it's like, there's some invisible like curtain that like you pass through as a player where I can't even articulate your commitment anymore. Like it's so high, like you're so invested and you've, you've been through, we've been through so much together that you've passed through the 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 curtain and like I just a lot gets exchanged non-verbally you know like we all know we know your intentions are good we know that you put in the work we know that you're reliable we know that there's just no more doubt and and seeing it happens different times in different people's career but when it happens it's just like oh I want to be around that person I'll follow that person anywhere you know yeah. like it's a, it gives me goosebumps you know it's like someone coming into their own it's pretty pretty amazing part of athletics you know just like you're in you're in the presence of greatness and just you know it's pretty cool i could not agree more it's a great feeling yeah i have to imagine the only thing i can say like you know people who who know who they are like who really sincerely are living their life from who they want to be and like they're just so in line you know when you're around those people you know like it's hard to describe but like you just you gravitate towards them you know like they're not searching you know they, they like they're maybe they're, they're they're trying to better themselves but they have a confidence in who they are and so it's it's pretty cool you know it's, it's very magnetic oh yeah for sure well, jackie you have any more questions I don't. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get you on here in a couple months when maybe some more volleyball stuff is going on and we can talk some actual shop. But yeah, I think we're good here for now. Yeah, Keegan. You got to say it. I think we're good here. <laughs> no, right. Seriously, thanks. Thanks for having us. Or thanks for coming on. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Keegan, thank you so much. Appreciate you guys so much. Again, this, uh, this blog has gotten me through some long drives and, um, <laughs> I certainly uh, don't feel uh, like I belong with some of the people you've spoken with, but just they're people that I've always wanted to meet and I feel like I know them a little bit better. And so I love the work you're doing. It's really cool. So keep it going. Thank you. We appreciate it, brother. All right, gents. Be good. I'll see you. You too. Later. See ya.